Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 this morning. If you have topical headings at the beginning of chapters or different sections of Scripture, if your Bible is anything like my Bible, it's going to say Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's where we're at in this study in the Gospel of Luke. The hostility from the Pharisees and the religious leaders is constantly growing as they try to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people, to try to elevate themselves by taking him down. And in the context of what we're looking at today and what we've looked at previous to this, there are four questions that come out of our text that pretty much frame this relationship, this growing hostility that Jesus had with the Pharisees. The first question we saw back in Luke 5, verse 30, when the religious leaders asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then, in Luke 5, 33, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but yours don't? Then, today, in Luke 6, 2, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And then in verse 9, a question from Jesus. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Now the first two questions we've already looked at in Luke 5.30. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What did Jesus say? Well, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. Sick people need a physician. We've seen the second question. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast but yours don't? We saw this last week. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the bridegroom and these are my attendants. And the attendants of the bridegroom don't fast while the bridegroom's with them. Now the day will come when they will fast because I'll be taken away from them, but not yet. That time hasn't come. Something new, something better, something far superior had come to the people. The old covenant law of Moses was, was, would soon become obsolete when Jesus died on the cross without the death of a testator. A covenant is not in effect. The new covenant came into effect at Calvary. And he said, you can't take what I am bringing and try to place it into the structure of that which is passing away. Now, the two that we're looking at today are questions three and four that you've seen there on the slide. And both of these deal with the Sabbath day, which is why the chapter might be entitled, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a cherished sacred institution of the Jews. Do you hear that? Of the Jews. God gave the people of Israel the Sabbath after they came out of Egypt. I want to share a couple passages of Scripture just so you know what I'm talking about here. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, this is the second giving of the law before they go in to take the promised land. 
Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And you shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore... Based on that, folks, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. How many of you had ancestors that were brought out of Egypt by the hand of God? How many of you are Jews? So can you remember the Sabbath day by remembering how you were a slave in Egypt? But here's another passage in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 12. Listen to these words. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath. To celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant, it is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Folks, there is no record in Scripture God ever gave the Sabbath to any other nation except to Israel. And they were to keep it, and to keep it holy unto the Lord. And no work was to be done on the Sabbath day. And if they did, they were to be put to death. Now the Pharisees took it upon themselves, the religious leaders took it upon themselves, to define what work was. And boy, did they define it. In ways that just boggled the imagination. And they demanded that everyone, including Jesus and his disciples, observe it. So let's go back to Luke 6 and take a look at our text today, the first 11 verses, and get into this. Because this all focuses on Jesus and his disciples not following the commands and the rituals of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. In Luke 6 and verse 1, it came about that on a certain Sabbath... He was passing through some grain fields, and his disciples were picking and eating the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? 
how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I wonder how they took that. It's like, hey, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, not you. I, I, not that Jesus came across that way, but I wonder if they took it that way. It came about on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath in order that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. He said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And he rose and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. I want you to notice two or three things today. The first is a worthless heresy. A worthless heresy. Every seventh day of the week, obviously, was the Sabbath day. Saturday, the Sabbath day. The main day for the Pharisees and their religious system. Their system of works and merit and self-righteousness and achievement and attainment. Their, their path to a spiritual relationship with God through ceremonies and rituals and external law-keeping. All of that found its focal point in the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees... Maybe they had the best of intentions, but they had made the Sabbath observance way more than what God ever intended. Because God says, do no work on that day or you die. They defined what work was. The Jewish historian Alfred Edersheim in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, adds several appendices to the end of the book. And in the 17th appendix to his book, <laughs> he did some incredible work on the Sabbath rules and regulations that are found in the Jewish Talmud. Now, in the Talmud, there are 63 tractates divided up into chapters. And within that, you will find 24 chapters of Sabbath laws that are a part of the Talmud. The rules and the regulations defining what violations of the Sabbath were, the definition of work that would violate the Sabbath day, all these rules and regulations that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, added to what God originally said to the Jews. For example, on the Sabbath day, you couldn't travel over 3,000 feet, which they believed was 1,999 steps. If you took the 2,000th step on the Sabbath day, you deserved to die. All right, you had violated the Sabbath. No burden could be carried that weighed more than a dried fig or a half a fig 
carried twice. I kid you not. If you threw an object in the air with one hand and you caught it with the other hand, it was a sin. You had violated the Sabbath. If a person reached out his arm for food, just as the Sabbath was beginning, and the Sabbath began at sundown on the preceding evening on Friday night, okay, if you reached out your hand to take food right at that time, then you just had to drop the food because you'd be carrying a burden. That was work. That was a sin. You had violated the Sabbath. A tailor could not carry a needle. A scribe couldn't carry a pen. A pupil could not carry his books. All of that would be bearing a burden, and that would violate the Sabbath. Wool couldn't be dyed. Nothing could be bought or sold. Nothing could be washed. A letter could not be sent, even if you sent it by the hand of a pagan. A fire could not be lit. An egg could not be boiled, even if you just put it in the hot sand. They had laws about wine and milk and honey and spitting and writing and getting dirt off your clothes. Again, the Sabbath ran from, from sundown Friday night till sundown Saturday night. There was no sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, Threshing, winnowing, sifting, grinding, kneading, baking, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning wool, putting on a weaver's beam, making threads, weaving threads, separating threads, making a knot, untying a knot, sewing two stitches, and so much more. 24 chapters more. So here in verse 2 of our, of our text today, why do you do what's not lawful in the Sabbath? What were they accusing Jesus and the disciples of doing? Threshing. They had taken some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate the grain. They had worked on the Sabbath day in the opinion of, of these religious leaders. Now, it was perfectly legal for a hungry person to take some of the neighbor's grain that way. Okay, the Old Testament law provided for that. You could walk through the edge of someone's grain field and, to, and take some in your hands to, to, to sustain yourself, to eat, to, to revive yourself. You just couldn't take enough that you would put it in a container to take home. And you couldn't put any kind of an instrument to it to, to reap it just with your hands. Okay, that you could do. That's not what upset the Pharisees. What upset them is that they were doing it on the Sabbath day. Dr. John Phillips said, here was the Lord and there were the disciples. The disciples were hungry and because the Mosaic law allowed the passerby to take some grain, they did so. The Lord of the harvest himself was with them. He had created the seed that had been sown. He had sent the rain, even provided the soil. He had commanded his beaming sun to smile upon the fields and farms. Now the whole land was full of grain, bowing to acknowledge its creator. So Jesus here answers their question with three answers. One from the scriptures. He said, haven't you read what David did? Then he talks about the Sabbath. And this is in Mark's account of this. In Mark 2 verse 27 where Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
You see, the religious leaders had made the Sabbath a burden. God intended it to be a blessing. And then here in our text in verse 5, he talks about himself. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of this day, Jesus is saying. So Dr. Phillips continues and says, as Lord of the Sabbath, he could do what he liked with it. In fact, he intended to abolish it. The Sabbath always fell on the seventh day of the week. After Calvary, though, things happened on the first day of the week. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. The day of Pentecost always fell on the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week. The early church met for worship on the first day of the week. And now our rest is not in a day, but in a person. Now the law is replaced by the Lord. Our rest is in Him. The whole subject is spelled out in Hebrews 4, where the discussion revolves around the whole subject of rest, creation rest, Canaan rest, and Calvary rest. And what was it Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 and following? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest, not a test to wear you out. So they brought this worthless heresy to confront Jesus with. But notice the withered hand there in verses 6 through 9. Some scholars think this was the same Sabbath, but Luke says it was another Sabbath, a different Sabbath. But either way, Jesus is using this as another opportunity to expose the error of the Pharisees. Luke tells us that Jesus was in this synagogue teaching. Mark's account of this says a man with a withered hand was there, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him, leading some to believe that the Pharisees planted this man there. That they brought him trying to get Jesus uh, to sin, to catch him in a violation of the Sabbath. And the word for withered here, a withered hand, is the same word for atrophy or even for a dead plant like a leaf. And apparently Jesus stops his teaching. He says to the man, come here. Now, according to the religious leaders... If you were sick or injured, all that could be done to you on the Sabbath day was enough to get you to survive through to the next day. Only that much. Then full treatment could be given on a day that wasn't the Sabbath. So this man's condition was not life-threatening. It did not require immediate attention. Jesus could have easily taken him maybe to Peter's house or someplace away from these men and have healed him privately. But Jesus wanted to drive home the point again about the Sabbath and the false religious system the Pharisees had developed completely apart from God and His Word. So He asked the question, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now doesn't that have an obvious answer? Sure it does. It wasn't lawful or illegal to do evil or to murder someone on the Sabbath or any other day for that matter. As far as that goes, the Sabbath was no different than any other day. And that was the point. That was the point. When it came to doing good 
or to saving a life or saving a soul. The same thing was true. The Sabbath was no different than any other day. I mean, should a man stand by and watch his neighbor's house burn to the ground because it's the Sabbath? Should a doctor refuse to treat a dying patient because it was the Sabbath? Should someone stand on the bank of a river and let a little child die because it was the Sabbath? Was that what God intended? Absolutely not. And in Mark's account of this, in Mark 3 verse 4, it says they were silent. They couldn't say a word. So Jesus then exposes their wicked hearts. Jesus looked around the synagogue and in Mark's account, Mark 3 verse 5, it says, With anger grieved at their hardness of heart, he saw their hearts hardening. It was happening at that very moment. Luke says he knew what they were thinking. He knew they couldn't have cared less about that man's hand or anybody else's hand for that matter. They just wanted to expose Jesus as a false prophet. As a blaspheming lawbreaker, they had their rules and he wasn't following them. They had their regulations and he was ignoring every one of them. Their religious traditions were more important to them than someone's healing. To them, it was better for a man to lose his house, for a child to lose a limb, for a drowning man to lose his life, than for someone to break their rules of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees aren't saying a word, nobody's looking around, nobody's breathing. You could probably cut the tension with a knife. Jesus looks right at them so no one can mistake what he's about to do. And remember that Mark says he was angry. And to my knowledge, I might be wrong, but to my knowledge, this is the only place in the New Testament that says Jesus was angry. Several times, hundreds of times in the Old Testament, it talks about the anger of God. And there are references to the anger of the Lord in the New Testament. But this is a rare occasion where the Bible says Jesus was angry. Angry at their unbelief, at their rejection, angry at their spiritual pride, their, their sin. They were rejecting grace and goodness. They were merciless, compassionless. Brutal, hard-hearted, proud, self-righteous, and Jesus was angry. Mark also says he was grieved, genuinely saddened by the fact their hearts were so hard. And if that persisted, that would have eternal consequences. So in verse 10, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And by the way, there was no work involved in that command. No work involved there. He stretched out his hand. It was instantly, immediately healed. And the Pharisees, you'd think, maybe they would, would say, he didn't violate a command by saying that. The man's hand is healed. He didn't work. Maybe we need to give Jesus a second look here. Maybe we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. No. They're filled with fury and discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't stand it. And the word for fury there, they were filled with fury or filled with rage, is a word that literally means to be devoid of understanding. 
They were at their wit's end. They had just lost their minds. They were so angry that they were out of control and became enraged with Jesus, and they want to kill him. What the Pharisees did was intentional, and it was delusional. So let me finish this. I wonder how many people miss Jesus because of the behavior and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. How many people were led away from Jesus because of them? Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Wow. How many people miss Jesus because of the Pharisees? How many people miss Jesus because of us? Do we ever have Pharisaic attitudes? Do we ever let people see hypocrisy in us? Do we ever drive people away from Jesus by being what Larry Osborne would call an accidental Pharisee? And meanwhile, folks, it's not the man with the withered hand in our midst, but it's the man with a wasted life. And the couple whose marriage is hanging on by a thread and a teenager facing the most unimaginable trials and temptations and a single mother that wonders if she'll ever have a future. People that all they want to do is find Jesus and see if he can help or heal them. And Jesus can. But will we be a hindrance to them finding him? So put yourself in this story today. Who are you? Are you a hypocritical Pharisee? I hope not. Are you the man with the withered hand and you're searching for Jesus? If so, you can leave here today with him and with salvation. Are you like Jesus? The one who's willing to reach out to people that others deem unacceptable and try to show compassion and grace. Or maybe you, are you just one of the disciples and you're over on the sidelines just uh, being content and eating and not doing much at all. You have to decide this for yourself. Let's not keep anyone from finding Christ. Let's be a church of grace and mercy and love, compassion where people can find hope and healing. Let's stand and sing.